and Zach didn't tell me what the surgery was. Actually, Randy was going to lead worship tonight, and that would have been his first time of doing that, but it's nice to have another jack-of-all-trades musician in the house, and, and uh, so I was looking forward to hearing what he had to sing about, but it didn't happen because his wife had emergency surgery, and so we got to wait and see how that's turning out and praying that everything will go fine. But uh, I was saying all their kids, they live close to each other, Stephen and Amanda and Randy and Christina, and they got a mess of kids when you get them together. And so I imagine that they are taking care of all the kids while they went to St. Louis. And to get them all in bed and get them ready to go to school the next morning is tough with not that extra help. So... You know, we just got to keep praying for our families, and uh, different ones have been touched. Uh, I got a call from Brad Cunningham this week, and we definitely are starting a church in Foley that's bilingual. Uh, we have the one church with the Cuban pastor, and now Pastor Brad's going to start the other church. They had over 30 people Sunday in a house church, and the Guatemalan doctor she testified, and she still could see perfectly. She couldn't see at all. She had cancer stage four around her eye, and it had made her eye go where she couldn't see, and now she's still seeing perfectly. So she was just glowing, he said, testifying about how God touched her. And so more people are coming. They heard about it, so now they're coming. Uh, I'll be heading out to Texarkana on my way to Brownsville in October, in the middle of October. Uh, we have, I don't know if you all remember Larry Cook who passed away. He was pastor of the church in Pontoon Beach. Sister Virginia went with us and we had, I think, Sandy Redfern and Mark Panagas and I don't remember who else besides me and Lucy. I think that might have been it. But we went when it started in Collinsville, I think it was, wasn't it? And uh, it was in a rental. And we were there for the founding service. And we laid hands and prophesied over it. And then he started the church and they ended up moving. And then they actually bought a building from a friend of mine, Dr. Eddie Brown, who is the, the doctor and president of Destiny uh, Bible college or university. But Eddie Brown had used to work for Brother Gorman back in the 70s. And so he was over Destiny uh, Bible College Ministries, and that's who Bishop Ronnie Webb's church uses as their covering uh, through their ministry classes. And uh, so we hope to eventually do something like that where people can get a bachelor's, a master's, or a doctorate degree in the ministry courses. And so, uh, anyway, uh, Brother Larry Cook's son, Caleb, that's his youngest son, has been a youth pastor in Magnolia, Arkansas, for a few years. And since they got a new pastor, he felt like he needed to kind of bow out and move on. So he, he went 40 miles away, and he, they've got about three or four families already that are meeting like a little house Bible study 
and he wants me to come down and set them in order, and we're going to have another church start in uh, Texarkana. He said he lives on the Texas side. You know, that's one of those towns that's right on the border. It could be Arkansas or Texas. But uh, he said that he lives on the Texas side of it, and so we'll be having another church. Brad wants to name his church Christian Family uh, Fellowship of Foley uh, this time. So it's an extension of our Christian Family Fellowship International. And so God's rebuilding our network again in the United States. And we'll be going down to Brownsville after go to uh, Texarkana, get my town straight here. And we'll go there and hold a conference with Brother Herman Gutierrez. And then I'm going over with Brother James Littleton, Sister Virginia. He calls her his spiritual mama. But he also calls Lucia his spiritual mama. So he's got a lot of mamas and the papas. And start a singing group, I guess. But uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to go and be there as the apostle to help establish them. Uh, and I forget the exact town. It's by Mission, Texas. They're close to Doug Mir. And so I'll do a two-night meeting there. He's got about 20 people. And they're excited, he said. He called me today. He was all excited. Tell me the exact date you're going. So uh, I told Herman if it goes well, we can stay on a couple more days. And then I'll run over 40 miles away to where James is and hold two services there and then travel back to Gonzales, Louisiana, and New Orleans to hold services with Garland and Beverly Philbo. So that'd be a full about 12 days of ministry with very little lag time in between. I told Lucia if I said if I definitely end up in New Orleans, I want her to come down. And I don't know if somebody ride with her or drive with her, but I said if you can come down, meet me there, then you can be in the services there and, and enjoy some time there with your mother for a day. And, uh, you know, because she's not getting any younger, you know. Anyway, this is part two tonight of Inner Healing, talking about healing the broken hearts and how does that work. But... Uh, I didn't get my laptop correct again without Zach being here. He sets it up and then I mess it up. And I don't know how I mess it up. Because it sure seemed like it was supposed to work. But I couldn't get it to come on where I made the document. So anyway, I had to go back to my old way and had to print it. So anyway, let's go ahead. This is part two. Last time we talked about healing. And the word healing in Isaiah 61 means to cure. It's a Hebrew word that means to cure. So God, when he heals something, he wants to cure it. If you are healed of a disease, you are cured. No longer are you sick from it. So anyway, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. I wanted to read all three verses today. Didn't have to, but I wanted to anyway, because they're so good. You can't stop with just one, kind of like Lay's potato chips. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Aren't you happy when the Spirit of God is upon you? 
I mean the anointing. My sister, I'll testify for her, might have her, well, she might get some testimonies Sunday uh, before Zach preaches, but she told me, she came up, I had that word about somebody's knee bothering them. I thought it was the left knee. And so she said, well, that has to be me. And so she got up. She said, I wasn't afraid to come to the front and get prayer. But she said, as soon as she got right here, and I was standing here waiting on her, she said her heart started pounding out of her chest. And she started to shake a little bit. And when she got over there and I laid my hands, she just shook all over. And, and you had your hand on her knee. I had Chelsea lay her hand on her knee as a point of contact. And all the pain left her body. And she said she has not had pain in her knee since. And she's been having it for a long time. So we thank God for that. And did you feel a heat in her leg when you were doing? Your hands were sweating. See, that's a sign, in my ministry anyway, of healing. My hands get really hot. And I feel almost a pulsating go into people. Well, she was shaking all over, so she got a touch not only in her knee, but all over. And she's just tickled about it. And others, too. I know Tara, Dave's counting the offering, but Tara was shaking over here, and I think she fell out in the spirit. But uh, then Cookie was trembling and shaking under that anointing. And it just never ceases to amaze me when God does that, how he touches people's bodies. And then John's grandpa's eye, he was able to see. He was so happy. He just smiling from ear to ear. But when the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. Did you know He's anointed you? You don't have to have Him keep to keep coming upon you. He comes upon you so that you have that anointing, and then when you activate it in ministry, that's when there's some results like shaking or heat, Sometimes people feel cold like ice when we pray for them. Sometimes they fall out in the spirit. Sometimes they can laugh from the deepest regions of their bellies. But God, His anointing is upon us. And why, Nelson? Why? To preach good tidings to the poor. He wants us to preach good news to the poor. Then Jesus has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He wants us to cure the broken heart. Now there's a reason why the heart is broken. And we're going that's what we're going to get into the beginning of tonight. And to proclaim liberty to the captives. We'll get into that a little bit also. But the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, that's really talking about Hey, God is moving. He's going to have it His way. The end is coming. And it's the acceptable year of the Lord. It's time for people to come to know God. Now you're going to see we're going to read the companion passage in uh, Matthew chapter 4. but Or Luke chapter 4 rather. And he said, And the day of vengeance of our God. Now remember that. Then he goes on to say to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion in the church, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When you feel heaviness and depression, if you'll begin to praise God, it will lift. I had another lady send me a message on Facebook and said, I want to thank you so much for praying for me. She said, because all that heaviness lifted and she had so much joy. To, anyway, they, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. See, he talks about we're like a tree. We're supposed to bear good fruit. So being trees of righteousness, you will bear good fruit. Now, remember, day of the vengeance of our God. Now let's flip over to Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now Jesus had walked into the synagogue, and they always had a reading for that day. And the reading was out of Isaiah 61. So, because the New Testament had not been written yet. So he was reading out of Isaiah, the prophet. And that was a reading that was lined up to be read. He didn't say, well, now let's turn over to Isaiah 61. That was the place in the scriptures that they were reading in a synagogue that day. No coincidence. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and recovery of sight to the blind. Now, isn't that interesting? He didn't, we didn't see that in Isaiah 61, did we? Not exactly. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then the Lord closed the book. Well, guess what? He did not read in the day of the vengeance of our God. He closed the book. He was not there. He is the one who will declare the vengeance of God upon those who have not chosen to follow Him on the day of judgment. He'll say to some, Enter in, my good and faithful servant, well done. You know, and then others he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Even though they went to church, even though they sang the songs, even though they said they were believers, they did not know him. They did not truly believe and follow him with their hearts. They were religious. Religion will not take you to heaven. It will not allow you in the gate. But it's only those who have given their heart 100% to the Lord and allow Him to be Lord of their lives, and are doing what He's called them to be doing. Hey, you know, salvation doesn't cost you anything, and on the other hand, it costs you everything. It costs you nothing because Jesus paid the price for you to be able to enter in, but it costs you everything because He expects you to give your life to Him. Amen? So you see, without that, you're truly not going to have a place in the kingdom. I just want to ask you that question. Have you given him everything of your heart? Or are you still trying to make all the decisions? See, God wants you to give your heart 100% to him. But anyway, he didn't say the day of the vengeance over God. It's not time for judgment. He came to bring the acceptable year. It's time to know me. It's time to follow me. 
time to be healed. It's time to be well. It's time to see that he gave his life on the cross and he was resurrected from the dead. He became Lord and Savior of our universe and our lives. But it wasn't time for judgment. Thank God. A lot of people had been going to hell that day. There's still a lot of people going to go to hell unless they give their life to Jesus. That's very sad to say. All right. The number one point is this. To bind up the brokenhearted is a phrase. It's a descriptive phrase of the place where the Holy Spirit dwells or deals with the traumatic incidents that happen in our lives. Okay, so that place of heartbrokenness is a place that the Holy Spirit is seeking to unlock the key to that little room or that spot in your heart so that He can bring healing to it. Uh, when Dale Sides was with us, and he did a lot on inner healing, when he was with us back on Ditch Road when we first started, he came during that first year, year and two months or so, and ministered with us. I'd met him in New Orleans at Brother Gorman's pastor's conference. And Dale did a lot with inner healing. And so I went to see him at the hotel. And I said, Brother, I want you to pray for me because I need some healing inside. My father, at my, when I was six months old, had a nervous breakdown and was a tremendous worship leader, preacher. But when that happened, our family seemingly almost fell apart because he could not earn a living. He was broken, and he had issues that God needed to deal with also. But it put him on the skids. My mom, eighth grade education at the time, went to work at Ben Franklin Five and Dime, and she made minimum wage, barely put food on the table. Sometimes we get commodities when they hand out cheese and stuff like that. I'll never forget that cheese. It came in a long white box, and you'd cut it and put it on sandwiches, on crackers. Man, I never ate so much cheese in all my life as when she went through the commodity line. But, you know, huh? Oh, yeah, that was good-tasting cheese. Anyway, you can almost overdose, though, on some things. And I about overdosed on cheese. But, you know... Uh, she did whatever she had to to make sure we had food on the table. I mean, I thought beans and ham hock and cornbread was a, was a rare uh, meal, you know. And yet it was very cheap is why she made it. She'd make a big pot of potato soup and we'd eat cornbread. I thought that was another delicacy. Yeah, but it was cheap. Potatoes were cheap. Now, we didn't eat hardly any rice growing up. I don't, it wasn't part of the Mid-South, the Midwest region so much. Did y'all, any of y'all ever eat a lot of rice growing up? You know what, they grow a ton of it around here, but not very many people eat it. They sell it. When we ate it, we ate it at Grandpa and Grandma Neal's house, and we'd put sh butter, sugar, 
and white milk, and we'd eat it like cereal. I never ate rice as a staple like potatoes in a meal. I didn't know you could eat it with beans or, or that kind of thing. But anyway, you know, we were poor. And, you know, we had wood and had a little linoleum on parts of it. We put a box fan in the back of the shotgun house to suck out the hot air at night and come around the windows and blow a little cool. Usually it's kind of damp air when you're running a fan around, but it, it can get cool. You get under the covers by morning. But we survived, and my father had issues. In fact, my uncles came over because my dad thought he was a Nazarene, and he wouldn't shave. And so they hauled him off to Farmington to the uh, mental hospital where he received shock treatments and suffered, and he hated that place. He was a brilliant man. He had a genius IQ and smarter than all three of us kids put together. But my mom had the common sense, see. And so I'm glad I inherited a little bit of his smarts and a lot of my mom's common sense. And, uh, but anyway, make a long story short, there was a lot of suffering. My father came to one of my baseball games, Little League game, when I was growing up, and I was the star. I pitched, and I was in the championship games most of the time, and all the leagues I played in. The first game I ever pitched in high school, I threw a no-hitter down in Donovan and hit a grand slam home run that day over the fence down the left field line. I said, man, this is a perfect day. This is the best day of my life. Of course, we won by the 10-run rule, so I only had to throw five innings. But, you know, it was remarkable to go through. Yet, he never came to the games. He didn't come to my basketball games. Uh, and I was a pretty tenacious player. But, uh, you know, and that was kind of painful. He might ask me, did you all win? And that was about it. He didn't say, did you play good or did you score any points? My mom came to as many games as she could. In fact, Sister Virginia, she would sit next to Rick Lansford's mother at the baseball games. And Ricky Lundry, his mother was there too. But she would sit next to uh, Ricky Lansford's uh, mother at the basketball games. He was a grade behind me. And so anyway... She would be there, but you know, it's not like your daddy being there, you know. You'd like your dad to be there, but he wasn't. And so I grew up kind of tough emotionally. I hardened my heart a little bit against that, and I looked up to the coaches, and I looked up to my brother and, and my uncles and my grandpa as the men in my life. You have to. You need a role model here and there. And I ended up going through all these years, having my kids, coming to Missouri, and here we are starting a brand new ministry, and I have Dale Sides come, and he's talking about healing, you know, fragmented soul. And so I said, well, Dale, I want you to pray for me. And he prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to show me where that crack was, that, that hurt in my soul realm. Where was it? And in my memory, I saw me sitting on the bed and in the house, the shotgun house, we had a cutout 
and you could see from my brother and I's bedroom through that cutout, we could see the kitchen. And so my sister was on one side, my brother was on the other. I was about four years old. And I saw my dad reach back and slap the fire out of my mama's face. And at that age, I didn't remember, I didn't really remember it until he prayed, just like it was yesterday. I saw it, and I heard myself at four years old say, I hate you. I hate you. I'm not going to hurt my mama. And the next day, my two uncles, Uncle Roy and Uncle Charles, came and picked my dad up and took him to Farmington, to the mental hospital. And so there was a, an abandonment. My father was gone. Yet there was peace in the home. You know, you feel guilty, but it feels good because you have some peace. And my mom worked hard. And my sister and my brother helped look out after me. And my grandmother, who lived across the street. And then Ken and his family lived up on up the street from us. So I had lots of people watching after me. Sometimes too many. I got in a lot of trouble. I got a lot of switching over that. Aunt Dorothy washed my mouth out with soap one time because I said, darn it. You know, and uh, is a byword is what we called it. She said, that's a bad word. And she went and got the soap and <laughs> rubbed it on my tongue. I never said that around her again. I probably didn't ever say that word again. It worked. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But anyway, when Dale Sides prayed over me and I saw that, I said, oh. I said, no. I said, oh, Daddy. I said, I'm so sorry that I said I hate you. Because I love my dad. Everybody, you love your parents. Even when they're bad sometimes. Even when they're weak. Even when they mess up. You still love them. You just don't like them a lot of times. But I told my dad with my eyes closed and tears running down my face. I said, oh, Daddy, I'm so sorry. I don't hate you. I said, God, heal me. See, the Holy Spirit took me back and in my vision, I saw, I felt the arms of Jesus wrapped around me and my brother and sister. And it was like he said, Dale said, what are you hearing? I said, the Holy Spirit saying, I was there when that happened. And I kept you safe. And I was, because they removed him from the home. And uh, he got some help. It wasn't tremendous help but it brought peace, and he did come back home. and Eventually, he got some healing. Uh, thank God for that. After I'd moved to New Orleans, was ministering down there, he actually started pastoring again for a little while. And so there was a redemption of our relationship, but God took me back and showed me the deficit that was in my own heart. And so the hardness or the protection over my own heart probably kept me from embracing others like I needed to. You know, and my children were always loving. Chelsea wanted to always sit on my lap and watch TV. And Alicia would come over and say, but Dad, there's no more room here because Chelsea was hogging my lap. And 
the boys would come and I'd play with them and and you know Zach would always up till he was I don't know how old give me a kiss on my cheek before he'd go to sleep at night you know they showed me the love I almost couldn't show them they taught me how to love back and so it was tremendous healing but Dale Sides helped me see by helping me to realize where that happened. I don't know if you remember a guy named Jesse that had been with us. And Jesse, had he used to ride motorcycles in gangs, and, and he came and he helped work for me over at that building. He did a little handyman work. He had a dark beard. You remember him, anybody? But Jesse, he came and... After that, I received that healing. He came to me one day and said, Pastor, can you pray for me like you said Dale prayed for you? And so I did. And God took us back, and he remembered when he was 12 years old. He was living in California, and he had a stepdad that did not like him. He was the oldest child. And he went to school, and when he came home that afternoon, Cherish, there was nobody there. There was no furniture there. They had taken everything and moved out while he was at school. And he said he went and stayed in an abandoned car that night, slept there. And then the next week or two, he said one of his friends from school in the neighborhood, her, his mother let him come and stay at their house. And he said that's how it was. He bounced around from this one and that one from 12 years old up. And so, and you know where? I prayed for him in the VA hospital when that happened. And he began to cry. He said, that was where it made me tough. And it made me mean. And he was a pretty nice guy, really. But sometimes he'd get mad. And he ended up dying of a heart attack in a fight over a woman. And, uh. He was trying to protect her, but he ended up dying of a heart attack. And how sad we lost him that way, but he got some inner healing. And I said, what do you see? And he says, well, it's like there was an angel or something with me taking care of me until I got where I could, you know, be with somebody, be with family. And so you see, we need to know where those places are in our heart that are hurting so that we can get healed of that so that we can go forward because those little things keep us from being open and loving the way we need to to minister to people. All right, so number two, there's a hormone that is secreted from your adrenal glands. Of course, it's called adrenaline. It's a long word with about, I don't know how many characters, maybe 30-something letters, but it's a long word, but it's called cortisol, and it's deposited in places to help deal with your hurts. So when something happens, the body actually triggers a defense, and this hormone is released, and it goes into spots in your mind, your brain so that it can't destroy you. Because, see, 
if you were fully hit straight on in one place with it, it would probably kill you, some of the events that have transpired in some people's lives. I mean, there's been abuse. There's been words. There's been beatings. There's been sexual abuse. There's been all kinds of trauma. Some people experience accidents where they kind of lose part of their ability to think right. Or some people are hurt in their body and they cannot function like they used to. Maybe they can't run anymore. Maybe they had to learn to walk all over again. But anyway, this, in number three, it, this deposit of adrenaline through cortisol, it prevents permanent damage from the traumatic events that you go through, and it spreads the memories out in different spots of your mind. So maybe you only remember part of an event. You know, when you talk to people in counseling, and sometimes they say, I kind of remember this, but they don't remember the whole thing until you talk it through with them, and then one piece by one piece comes back until they have a clear picture of what happened and what was going on. See? And so, number four, the Holy Spirit is able to pull them out, those memories out of the mind through guidance and piece together those memories so that they can be understood and can hold the person in that couldn't, and they don't hold the person captive anymore. See, some people that were traumatized in some ways, you know, Miriam Passmore, I've shared about her life so much I can share about it, you know, because she gives me permission. She wrote a book about what happened to her. She was raped by an uncle when she was nine years old. He was drunk. Made her hate men. And so she didn't ever want to be married. But she had an older man come tell her, well, if you'll let me have sex with you, I can, I can make you straight. But all it did was allow her to have two children, a son and a daughter, which were gifts in the long run from God. And, uh, but she still needed healing. She lived the life of a, of a lesbian for 20, 25 years in Miami. I met the lady she lived with for many years. She came to my Bible study on Wednesday mornings in Florida before Miriam ever came to the church. She came like two years, three years before. And uh, she loved my teaching. But then later on, Miriam got led to the Lord by a man that was uh, not Southern Baptist, but Independent Baptist. And he led her to the Lord at the power plant. So she confessed Jesus as Lord. But he said, I can't help you with the rest of it. You need to go over and see the pastor at Christian Family Worship Center. And so that Sunday, and two, Glenn Dunn's father was her overseer at the plant. He was over all the security guards. So a minister in the area that was a good friend of mine, his dad was her boss. So he also said, yeah, I'll go over to that church. So when she came and I prayed deliverance over her, and the 13th spirit was the spirit of lesbianism, and it left her, and then she became free 
And then she went through counseling with Hank and Millie Bowles. She went through counseling with me, and she went through counseling with another lady. And we kept her involved, and she took some ministry school classes. And she became an ordained minister. But she got help, see. And she remembered what happened to her after I was praying for her one day. And so her, her uncle was on his deathbed at the hospital. And she goes to see him. Said, I needed to see him and tell him I forgave him for what he did to me. By now, he's way up in years. Because by then, she was a woman probably 40 years old. So she went and saw him. And she told him, I remember what you did to me when I was nine years old. She said, but you know what? Jesus has healed me, and I forgive you. And said he cried, and she led him to Jesus Christ in a sinner's prayer that day. And then a couple days later, he died. And they asked her to preach the funeral. She ended up preaching the funeral, led a man that abused her, led him to the Lord, and then preached his funeral. She truly was healed of that hurt, that wound down inside of her heart. So you see, God can do it. But the Holy Spirit is able to pull out those memories like roots to where they don't have a hold on your heart anymore. And then number five, the church world, see, has failed to utilize the gifts of the Holy Spirit to bring this healing. While the world tries things like hypnosis, to try to deal with those memories. Or a psychic. They'll try to use these things that are from more or less the carnal side, if not even the dark side, to try to get somebody some healing. When we already have the tools that we can work with them. Proverbs 25 and 2 says, there, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. So you see, we bring glory to God by searching out things that need to be brought out so that they can receive their healing. And then we see that it says in number six, the Holy Spirit helps to search out the memories or the problems and reveal the truth to bring his cure, to bind the broken heart. And that, that word bind, you know, is an important word. It helps to bring healing, you know, to, to bind up. What did, <coughs> we look at Luke chapter 10, in verse 33 and 34, but number 7, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and not them, but them that are bruised. That word for bruised is threuo, and it means the breaking into pieces or the shattered part in the soul or shock to the mind. So when an event happens, it shatters a person. It destroys them for a time. 
Somebody says, what's wrong? They don't even know where to start <coughs> to tell you what's wrong. It shattered them. It broke them into pieces when the event happened, whether it was abuse or whatever. But you know what? God wants to bring it out. <coughs> Excuse me. So he can bring healing out. Amen? Luke 10 and verse 33 and 34. Pastor Ken, won't you read that while I put this cough drop in my mouth? But a certain Samaritan, his journey, <laughs> came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He poured in oil and he poured in wine. Now what this stands for, see, because to help him, he needed to help cure him. He poured in the oil and he poured in the wine. That same word for wounds is the same word for bruised, which talked about shattering, almost destroying. But the good Samaritan poured in the oil, which represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then the wine represents the Word of God, the revealing Word of God, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So because He gives us salvation through Jesus' blood and the presence of the Holy Spirit comes. When Dale Sides prayed for me, I'd been in the ministry for 30 years. That was like 2004. That was 18 years ago. Well, maybe 27, 28 years. So I've been in the ministry for, I've preached my first sermon at 19, I'm 64, so I preached my first sermon 45 years ago. I've had a little practice since then. But in this parable, that same word for wounds is the same word for bruise. When people have inner wounds, they're bruised. What do you do when you're bruised? You don't want anybody to touch it. Ow, ow. Oh, what, what happened? Well, I fell and hit my arm on a concrete block. Wow, it didn't break it, but it could have. But they're so bruised, it's still painful. And that's what happens to people on the inside. So what does God want to do? He wants us spirit-filled believers to get some training on being sensitive and listening to the Holy Spirit when somebody talks to us about what's happening. I've done this so much. And, you know, Hank and Millie, when they were here for a while, he taught the Sozo training. Really, that's what sozo is. It's a healing of the wounded heart. It's digging in. I don't know whether to say who it was, but somebody's father and mother were visiting, and the, the son asked me, he said, Pastor Kevin, can you come talk to my dad? And we were there, the mama was there, there's, you know, the son and the mother and dad was there, and he's He's almost my age, I'd say. 
that he can't sleep at night. He wakes up in the middle of the night and has this nightmare. It's the same nightmare over and over. So by the Holy Spirit, I discern where that could become from. I ask him questions, and then the Holy Spirit opened it up to him, and he realized why it was there. There was some fears of different things when they were growing up. And a false sense of responsibility about one of the family members and their household. And he wasn't able to take care of them now. So he was tormented by this fact. And so I prayed. We pulled that out and then I prayed over him. And he began to weep and was touched. And then I asked, Several days went by, and I said, is, is he sleeping better? And the son told me, Pastor Kevin, ever since you prayed over him and talked to him about that dream and talked about what it really stood for, said he slept every night. He doesn't wake up with that nightmare anymore. See, that inner healing of the brokenness that is there because of various reasons. See, that family member was a brother, and they ended up dying. And he felt guilty because he kind of felt like he he didn't do all that he should have done to help keep him going. But it was it was not true. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to lie to us. He comes to confuse us. He comes to hurt us, even by our memories. And so... You know, you need to get to where if you see somebody that reminds you of someone that hurts you and you can't even, then you have a bad day that from that point on, you need healing, see. Well, they reminded me of something. Well, it doesn't matter. If you're healed by the Holy Spirit, that should just make you glorify God more because of how He's healed you and brought you out. I like that old hymn. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He's a song in my heart today. The song of hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor Ken, for the word. Well, stand with me tonight. I want you to really think as I pray if there is something it can happen with all of us here. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's anything in your past or childhood or adulthood that was hurtful to you that God would reveal it so that it won't have a secret anymore, so that it won't hold power over you anymore. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to come to each one that is here tonight and I ask you to show them if there's anything that is hurtful or that has caused brokenness in their hearts to reveal it to them tonight. I ask you to show them right now. And I'm going to pause for a little silence and then I'm going to ask you something. may show you a picture of something. He may stir up a memory.
How many of you had a thought come to you? Just wave at me. I won't ask you what it was, but I just want to know if you had a thought, okay? Thank you. All right. Now, now let's ask the Lord to show you where he was in that memory. Lord, just show them how you were there in that midst of that memory. might have to do with your protection. It might have to do with how he got you out of it. But in the name of Jesus, Lord, show them where you were in the midst of it. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. How many of you saw how he was protecting you or keeping you safe. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? See, that's the cure. That's the healing that when a bad memory comes up, then the Holy Spirit can reveal to you where God was. He didn't leave you. He won't leave you or forsake you. Right, Nelson? Amen. He, was, he will be with you until the end of the age. So whatever it is that brings you difficulty, he can bring healing to you. Now, if you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody you trust. And you can share with them what that was and have them pray for you so you can continue to be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. God bless you. Thanks for being here. We're going to dig in some more next week. Oh, we do we have a uh, something, Stephanie? Okay, we got some birthday cake and something to drink out there for Anna. Let's all sing happy birthday to her. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Anna. Happy 